Hello and welcome to this week's Mad Axeman podcast. This is number 53 in what's an increasingly lengthy series. And in this lengthy podcast as well, we've of course got all the usual gang. We've got all the usual features as well, including Andy's quiz and Andy's quiz music. But the main part of the podcast is made up of a discussion, a debate, um, a kind of chat around the vexed issue of pricing. Is it right? Why do wargamers get so obsessed with pricing? Is it the manufacturer's fault for underpricing things? Is there a link between pricing and quality? Why or how do people actually decide what's the right price to pay for their war games figures? So sit back, enjoy the podcast. This means war. I think this is, is this 53? Anybody, yep. um, yes, yeah, not all round. And we just about scraped seven people together. Um, I'm not sure whether scraped is the right term. I'm not sure whether people's the right term. Dave, right. I think Dave's going to drop in and out due to um, d- doing that dangerous thing of upgrading your IT just before you need it and press the, the, the new version of operating system thing. Um, but, but we're all here. We've got a full set of seven. This week, we're actually going to dive or, or chat around or try and talk this sort of vexed issue of, I, I guess it's two things, really. It's like, why are wargamers so tight or um, historical wargamers so tight to be kind of the rude and blunt version of it? Or, or possibly more um, articulately, how do we as historical wargamers attribute value to, to stuff, um, to little toy soldiers? And, um, and why do we work so hard for... For what are actually quite often very marginal gains in price um how, how do we attribute value so we're going to have a good old chew around on on that one it's unusual that's going to be us picking a topic and doing it first rather than just ripping it off from half a dozen other podcasts but before we get to that world of excitement it's our traditional what have you been painting have you learned anything what's going on this week so um maybe looking kind of top right on my screen because just in anticipation of um of the next round of the FA Cup, the draw for which has just been done, uh, which there will be a a Finkel Porter challenge with um, QPR losing at home to Fulham, I believe. Um, Andy, what's what's been on your um, your painting agenda this week? Um, finished one lot of the uh, Thracians, and I've undercoated the second lot, and I'm finishing off the Voynux. So it's Voynux and Thracians, and after that, then it's moving to little ships. Nothing, nothing too exciting to report. Okay. I did follow some of the basing guidelines from last week, and I think the basing came up quite nicely. I think all your Thracians were, were historically they've been done brown. Did you did you stick with that exciting colour scheme, or did um did you get inspired? Well, no, only, to only, the, only the hats. The hats were brown. The 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 cloaks and tops and clothes were different shades of green, uh, red, oh, whatever. Okay, so that's just just cracking through some War and Empire figures, pretty much same as last time, and. And tiny little ships, are they, um, is that is there much of a paint job on those? Is it something that you have to get right to make them just not look like grey blobs or, or is that? Uh, well, yes, I mean, especially as the Italians, you need to do the barbershop poles in a reasonably tidy fashion on the front of the ships. Wow, how big is a ship to see the barber's pole? Uh, the, I suppose it's about between 40 and 80 millimetres long, depending on what kind of ship it is. Okay, and so that's the barbershop, actually... barbershop thing was on the front of it to hmm. tell the Italian Navy, don't bomb us, bomb somebody else. Just be clear, Tim, it was like the whole of the bow 
It wasn't right. just a pole. They yeah, painted the, the whole the deck, the whole the deck of the bow. They painted in yeah. red and white stripes. Yeah. Right. Okay. To make them really visible to air attack from foreign. Um, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like the whole of the deck was black with red and white stripe. Just about them. Well, I guess they were just working on the basis of, of guaranteed air superiority across the Mediterranean throughout the entire, um, you know, theatre of war. I guess. Yeah. I mean, if the Italian Air Force could have aimed their torpedoes and bombs properly, there'd been serious trouble. Mm. So does that mean they looked a bit like raspberry ripples? Mm. Probably. Yeah. It looks really cool. That's really cool. It's mainly which, by an Italian fleet. In which war is this? Is this um, second. first or second? Second World second. War. Okay. So, um, so can you see it from from the bottom of La Spezia Harbour? Very uh, probably. Of water? Yeah, yeah. Because because you see the bubbles as the. Uh, you can as still the see the stripes from that then. Yeah, okay. the the, the, the pasta pops to the surface every so often when you when right. it. Okay. Well. Right. Well, fascinating. We've learned something about history. Um, yeah, I never so, knew. That. Yeah. Well, Let's let's carry on in that vein, um, and let's go to 2000 AD. Tamsin, um, after providing us with the um, the YMCA in Donington Roman Infantry last week, and um, what uh, you, is it yet more finishing off more of these um, uh, these people, little people for infamy, infamy. Last Monday when we were recording, so there was something niggling at the back of my brain, and later on I worked out what it was. I'd painted the wrong shield designs on the. On the Roman legionary and auxiliary. I was going to say that. So I went back and quickly repainted them to the correct shield designs to match in with the legionary legionaries and auxiliaries I've done. Like Christmas design now. Yeah, that does look very festive for the for the yeah. upcoming yeah. upcoming period. Okay. That, what was wrong with the other one? Actually, based on either British reconnaissance corps during World War Two. Ah, oh, okay. So they're not. It's their, not their, it's their cat badge, but everybody called it the Christmas tree because that's what it ended up looking like. Okay. And after that, I all I got done were the, the little bits of scattered terrain. Oh, um, that's, I love that's that one. Really, yeah, that looks really, really battered. Um, and and that skip is very good as well. Yeah, I skip. I painted yeah. it empty, and mm. then I thought. Actually, no, maybe I should put fill it. Uh, so that ended up taking me a couple of couple of days extra and finished it today. That looks absolutely okay. superb. Oh, wow, so it's got rubble in it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I added, oh, added a load yeah. of rubble into it to make it up. And... How do you do the rust effect? Because that is superb. It looks... Yeah, that looks like rust, proper rust on a proper yeah. thing. Uh, mostly, you know, for little bits of foam that you get in blister packs of figures. Yeah. Yep. Or if you use the foam trays, the inserts which you pull out. Yeah. Okay, spare sort of the blue foam. That, ripped up, dab it into the paint, get off the excess, and then just dab it, I stipple it up, stipple it onto the onto the bit. Starting dark, I think the phase started hull red, then went saddle brown, orange brown, and then uh, one of the, I can't remember which orange. So what it looks like you've done is bought a metal piece of scatter terrain, left got it a bit let, wet, left it for a couple of years, and then there you go. Yeah. Yeah, because these ones, I did a metal base coat, then I did rust effect, then I did what's known as the hairspray chipping technique. So ah, right, okay. Cover up the, what you've previously painted with, with varnish, normally gloss, let that dry, give it a coat of hairspray, 
and then it's easier with an airbrush which i do have i <laughs> then then you put on the airbrush on or very carefully paint on a thin coat of whatever the top color you want is let that dry and then get a wet wet toothbrush or whatever preferably not one that you're currently using for brushing your teeth <laughs> yep. and so bash, bash away at the, at the top layer of paint uh, to reveal sort of, uh, the under layers of rust and bare metal. Okay, so the thing is painted in, in rust to start with, then hairsprayed, then painted again, and then you sort of scratch off some of the paint and it, yeah. it comes off in little kind of scabs. And then yeah. I guess you, you varnish it pretty quickly to stop more of it coming off. Or... Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so I've, I've seen that technique, but... Um, I don't think I've ever had it explained as simple. I, the alternative is, which if you haven't got an air, you haven't got an airbrush, you can just go yeah. do colours, then do the dabbing with the sponge bits. No, that's big, fantastic. How, how big is that uh, skip, Tamsin, in, in terms of size? Uh, it's about five centimetres long. Okay. <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm, wow. think, I'm thinking that when I when I do my Greek temple army base, I, I might might get a skip like that and try and put it. Yeah, all of these were from war bases. Okay. Uh, you, did you manage to get it in their sale? Or, oh, I bought these. I actually bought these ages ago. So, oh, right. Okay. You know, they've just been so sat, sat, sat around doing nothing. <laughs> sat there for a while. Okay. Yeah, good. Well, that's yeah. another bit of um, bit of technique then that we've yeah. we've learned from you in this weekly podcast. Grand. Okay. So in terms of doing that kind of, you know, effect of of different layers and paint chipping off and rust underneath. Adam, I guess, you know, it's lucky we've just learnt that before you started doing those six plastic stugs. You can um, you can use your um, bedside airbrush and, and whatever it is to um, to add some of that sort of effect in, in a 10 mil tank. You yeah, know, that's exactly what I was just thinking because um, I checked, because um, the painting guide, and it's not a painting guide I've decided. It, it's an account of an excellent painter, how they painted these models as well as they possibly could. That's not the same as a painting guide. You know, it's yes. like a painting guide is teach, teaching me how to improve my painting. Yeah. But um, after you said that um, there were 23 colours involved in painting your Sherman's green, I thought I would have a count how many colours was involved in painting the Stugs, that German three-tone colour yeah. thing. So yeah. you had 23, yeah? 23 yeah and that was that was i think five of them were different whites because this was winter whitewash but okay 23 to paint them green um to mm. paint the three-tone color germans it's 21 colors 21 Whoa. colors okay yeah, so well, it's less. well you know that's maybe that's one of those few things that the germans did more efficiently in mm. the war you know that they weren't over engineered or something like that i did actually start going down the um the dangerous route of looking go should I get an airbrush to paint stripes on about 20 little tanks? But but they appear to be like 100 quid, and you need a compressor the size of my PC um, and all sorts of other things? Or, or am I, I just making this all up? No, you're not. I, 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 what you're doing, what level of airbrushing that you're doing, you can get a very basic, basic setup a lot cheaper. I'd hope so. No, but not, you want the found. big toys. But, yeah, no. but do you still need a compressor or do you get a can of... You need, a, compre I, my, my, you need a compress the cans. Oh, crap. They run out. They run out. They, yeah. they end up, you'll end up, you'd end up spending a lot more buying yeah. cans of compressed air. So I, went through I, don't, I don't think you know process. how little... I don't think 
you know how little airbrushing I actually plan to do. I but to I do went through the same thing process for airbrushing. Yeah. And the deal is, it's worth it if you want to get really good at painting toy soldiers. Because if you want yeah. to get really good at painting toy soldiers, you need to master how to use an airbrush. Because yeah. it allows you to do stuff that you couldn't you do otherwise. Yeah. Does it yeah. matter um, what scale you're talking about, Adam? So I mean, would you say? I mean, I know you you go to fit, you go now on twenty five mils rather than fifteens. Mm -hmm. Would you would you be saying the same thing if you were painting mainly fifteen mil armies? Or would you think an well, airbrush is wasted um, on them? But I I don't know because I think sort of like going into airbrush, you're more getting into the painting being your hobby rather than the war game playing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like you're getting yeah. into the painting. So if you wanted to paint something really well, I would suggest that you perhaps wouldn't use 15 mil. But as we've discovered with the 10 mil stugs, hmm. um, you could do as well. So, I can see the logic of painting a vehicle with an airbrush because that would have a uniform finish anyway. So you need to, it, it makes it good to look like that. No, I, possibly. Well, it's one bit with an airbrush. It's not, I, you can, it's so many things that you can use it for, and particularly this time of year, priming your figures, varnishing your figures. Because you're obviously, you're obviously looking at different, because um, I've been trying to look at them on um, Amazon and eBay, and I thought you were going to say, um, you know, doing people's nails. And, and doing nail patterns because that seems to be the other thing which they're allowed to be using. Yeah, repairing chips in cars, things like that. It's, there's all sorts of uses that. So, for example, would you use it for basting your Christmas turkey or something like that? Yeah, I, I think that's a different sort of compressor, turkey. isn't it? That's a different sort of compressor. Um, but so if you want one, buy yourself an airbrush and a compressor, wrap it up, give it yeah. to Julie and say, give me that for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. But it might even be kind of like still add up to um, more than I would normally spend on even myself at Christmas, which for something I'm just going to paint two lots of stripes with, I might try and um, try and do yeah. the other way. I, so, I, but, what you're looking at, I, you're possibly looking higher end airbrushes than you might than you might need. Yes, I think I will Neo do, yeah. The Neo 3 Iwata should be about around... The Neo 3 Otter? Neo 4 Iwata. 4 Iwata, okay. Is that a Japanese battleship from the Second World War? Or back to Andy's painting now. I think Iwata are a Japanese company, but... Okay, all right. Yeah, but how many bars like, you get Neo is that? made for them... It's not yeah. their own brand, but it's... it's it had eight torpedo tubes. It's basic, basic yeah. intro. Yeah. Right. I'll look for any water then. Yeah. A, a cheap, a cheap, a fairly cheap eye compressor. I what? online. You don't you don't need a high, a high grade studio one. No, definitely not. But you're still looking. It's going to cost more than a hundred quid, isn't it? No. No, between the compressor and the airbrush. Peter's um, nodding. I think Tim, what yeah, you're I, saying is you've done a research on, project on Amazon and eBay. Yeah. So you, okay, if we're if we're not saying hundred quid, cheapo ones, cheapo kit sets, yeah, a, lot, a hell of a lot cheaper than hundred quid. So it's fifty quid for a rubbishy one. With them, yeah, you might have 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 more more problems with cleaning them and yeah, reliability. Oh, I, I can imagine. Right. 
Okay. So I had yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Let's. I'll, I'll go click on um, on Amazon after this. One, so. This means war. Adam, what what have you actually painted then this week? Um, well, I've finished off the Samaritan Cavalry, which is quite good. I've okay. um, done um, varnish today, although there was one really annoying thing, and it taught me a lesson in smugness. Oh. Because last week when we were talk- talking about... I can't imagine that you'd ever need a lesson in smugness. You're an Arsenal fan. Yeah. We could take you out. I could yeah. take you out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because um, last week, it's like Peter was saying, oh, but how do you stop it? It's sort of like green stuff getting all over your box after the at the end of the competition with static grass and other people saying oh isn't it murder when you stick grass to um the, to your figures yeah. and i was there thinking but when i've put the grass on let it dry and then i get a stiff brush yeah sort of like wipe it off and then i sort of like brush down the figures as well and i've never had either of those problems mm. and today i took the figures out to the garage yeah as soon as i stopped the varnish spray paint put it down i looked at the uh, the commander figure and there was this clump of static glass grass on his coat and his cloak and it's oh, like yeah Ew. yeah yeah, yeah. then you try and pick it off and it scabs off the paint and you've got to redo yeah. that so as i just well. started, I in the scraped it off there and then and paint came off as well yeah and it was it was only on the cloak so i've now redone the cloak so it wasn't a disaster but it's as soon as i put it down i looked at the figure and just thought how how just hmm. yeah so yeah that that was um annoying but on the plus side um they're done and i've spent the rest of my time gluing together stations so those are now your not summation they're now your however that german word is that sounds a bit like schaugenfraud cataphracts or something like that that's probably what they're going to need to be schadenfreude yeah that'll be it then yeah that's yeah. the one yeah okay all right so the the stations are glued together the summations are done um, you're off and running. They're being glued together, so yeah, it's, it's thing things um, go forward. Um, the only annoying thing was I was actually thinking, yeah, it's sort of like lockdown's over, so next week I can go back to employment. Mm. But it's like, no, you're not allowed to socialise outside your. No, yeah, so, that's yeah. not your magic bubble, are you? No, you can you yeah, can go no, shopping. So I was thinking but... if I could get employment to sell me some food and a beer, but yeah. even then, you're not allowed to. Um, no, didn't they, um, family thing, so are, are you in zone two? Are you in uh, tier two now, Adam? Yep. Oh, because it, it was tier one before the lockdown. It was, but basically everywhere. But I think it's Cornwall and the Isle of Wight or something, isn't it? That's in yeah. tier. Didn't tier I read two today that a um, that a Scotch egg now counts as a exactly. substantial meal? Scotch eggs. That's that's that your answer. That. And I think other people will be saying now nah, bollocks. Yeah, that's usually <laughs> the case, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. It's something from. Um, Probably some one of those um, rebellious Tory MPs or something like that. Okay, which, funny well, enough, you quite often say to Tory ministers. Yeah, that is absolutely uh, it was true. the Scots saying the Scotch egg for Lena. <laughs> okay, all right, Peter. Well, uh, what's your um? You're also kind of sequestered at home. What's your um? What's your painting? Have you managed to do any in amongst your um, um, your coughing fits, or has it actually it. been kind of tough? Yeah, I, I got the Bavarians out. I stuck them down, cleaned them up. Um, but I've just been vacant possession. So um, right. I tried a couple of times launching off on it. But um, yeah, anything past the detail of, um, yeah, I'm spraying it. That's as far as I can get uh, at the moment. Wow. 
So you were actually been proper knocked proper knocked over by the um by the dreaded yeah. then. Yeah. So How are you proper, feeling, mate? Uh pretty rough. It's just like, you know, feel okay for a few hours and then it just hits you like a wave. So, you know, good news is I've slept more than I've ever done, but uh, hey, it's just a bit odd. You know, you yeah. feel okay for a few hours, then it just knocks you out. Wow. Well, look, you know, if it's too bad for um for a wargamer to to actually do any painting, although, you know, setting yourself barbarians is is probably quite a big challenge. Um, that's probably quite a technical technical paint job to um, to give yourself. But other than that, you know, stay rested, I think, is yeah. is the answer from all of us. Um you know, in, in terms of other people who are about half awake, um, Saunders, how are you? Um, oh, I haven't got COVID, thank God. No, no. But what, what yeah. have you been up to? Um, str- struggling with my IT, if we've discussed earlier. Yep. Um, I've been just doing odds and sods, finishing things off. Uh, stuck together some plastics. It's a bit more more of the same as last week. I've been sticking together. Oh, where's the camera? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Deus Volti things and. Because I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm researching doing it. I've never done a 28 millimeter army. All my That's armies a have been 15 millimeters. So. That's a proper lockdown project. That is. Yeah. So uh, it's a sort of like contemplating all the various options and doing lots of research. And, what, what are you going to do then, Dave? Well, I'm thinking my favourite medieval army is um, feudal or medieval Spanish. So I've been looking at what figures to get for that. So I think I've started off looking at the peri plastics and things like that and then i've we, we might have a pricing review for you on that yeah we might better help you out on that yeah 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 well I've, I've, I've sort of started going to the expensive option and going with crusader so i've actually sent them an email yesterday saying go on give me your unit deals the way i want them yeah we'll see what they come back with that and uh but it seems they don't seem too bad. I mean, it seems to be about 140, 150 quid mm-hmm. for a whole, you know, for the army. So that, I didn't think that was too bad, actually. No, that would be reasonable. So, so have you been? So, has it really been a, a week of of clicking on um, different websites and comparing models and pictures and prices and things like that, rather than a week of painting? Yeah, it has. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm sitting here painting off some, you know, these Byzantines. It's, it's been tidying up the, t- the table, mainly, getting rid of projects before sort of launching into a big one for Christmas to keep myself yeah. occupied over Christmas. So has there been um, has there been anything that you've actually finished off then? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> anything that no. you've made a dent in? Anything like that? No, no, not really. No, no, it's just, I'm sitting no. here... I'm just doing the horses, you know, the leather strapping on a load of horses at the moment, which is, as we've all said, is pretty boring. Ah, right. Day, is that the, so, is yeah. that the end of your um, Goths and Germans or something? No, this is this is a, a spare bag of Byzantine, Heraclean Byzantine cavalry I ended up with. So I thought, you know, we might as well wow. finish them That's off. ages since you did Byzantines, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I bought I bought all the options, if you know what I mean. So Right. So that was for a Justinian army, but I thought I'd have one extra bag of Heraclean cavalry, which is from a sort of slightly later period. So if I wanted them to be sort of guard or something like that, okay. and, um, they've been sitting around and they're nice figures. So I'm just, you know, fiddling with the horses for those really. But I mean, I think some, one of the things this week has been sitting here researching Spanish military orders and uh, advanced nice retreat, form square, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, Calatrava or something like that. And, uh, and also which nights I want for which, you know, which I've been going through the WRG books, looking at Spanish military orders. I've been looking at the WRG book about which nights are which in which century and, you know, getting all the research done and building a, a folder on, on the, on the computer to say, this is Spanish figures and, you know, things like that. Oh, and then doing Pinterest, going through Pinterest, looking at all the silly things on Pinterest. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of Spanish heraldry on Pinterest for you to find. So, Dave, have you actually looked behind the history of some of the Spanish military orders? No, I, 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 I'm struggling to find anything on the Spanish military oh, orders. There, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Um, Where? Well, you have to yeah. tell me that. It gets a bit weird and wonderful pretty fast. That's what I'm hoping. That's because that'll keep you know. If I can get my interest up, that'll sort of like you know persuade me on the. There's army, even a. I, mean. um, I think there was a military female order as well. Is it uh, is it the kind of thing you find on the dark web and then um, someone from MI five comes around and visits you? Yeah, or is this something in the Franco era, which I really am not. Not not about. anymore. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just use okay. the right VPN. I told you. Simon, what about you? Um, top left-hand corner. Um, I think we've we've had a bit of conversation about buying stuff that I don't need um, as part of an order that you placed as well. But what have um, what have you been up to this week, painting-wise? Need, want, need, want. Yeah, yeah. want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I've been busy painting uh, this week. More stuff for Rampant Dragon. Um, so I've now got a few more rats finished up, so starting to get there. there. There may have been a war base order to get some bases. Annoyingly, I missed their sales. I didn't think of delaying the order, so I you know, missed out on saving two pounds. So damn it. No, damn. Two quid. Disaster. Um, and then I, I painted up um, just something a bit different. So some of my old Renaissance figures that I'd stripped and um, rebased, redone some of the older dragoons look really horrible. So I um, moved their musk, moved the muskets into a, a tercio unit, and then reused the mounted dragoons to make some mounted arquebus guys. So I've got something really obvious: guys with horse and pistol is Carassia. Guy with big carbine is obviously a writer. Just makes things a bit more obvious. Mm. So yeah, yeah no. I think um, there's. I think I saw a few people online this week were looking at the um, AGLG or, or, or dabbling on the AGLGR thing on um, Facebook as well. There's a couple of people asking about basing and things like that. So hmm. um, potentially you've been able to chip in and and give them some advice on that. Yeah, we um, uh, added a few comments into it because um, Andy and I had a game last week on Tabletop Simulator. We had a um, game of Italian Wars. So. Italian city-states versus Maximilian Imperial Germans. So the good old-fashioned slugfest Germans on you know, the northern cities. There were, there were um, keels, gendarmes everywhere. And the Germans won the game, but we were let, we're, and we're going to allow Milan to remain an independent state, fully in their own control, their own borders. Right. And, and, and you've communicated this decision from the far side of the Alps, which you crossed in great haste. Is that right? 
there was a there was a special on the at the local Aldi and uh, for beers we had to go and get there. Yeah, rush back, rush back. <laughs> so they were fleeing in fear, <laughs> being escorted, being escorted by by, by my knights poking you with their swords. <laughs> it went horribly wrong. It was great. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, I imagine so. Um, so, all right. So I think from from my point of view, I I nearly got to the end of these damned Arab spearmen. Um, I've done the basing on them now. Um, got the the static grass on it. Got the flock on it. Got them all, you know, sanded and inked and all the rest of it. So I've now got three, well, six blocks of um, double rank spearmen who are just waiting for the right day to do um, mat varnishing. But I'm really in kind of two minds because the weather's sort of cold and damp, but isn't super cold all the time. It's kind of hovering around about. 10 degrees which is is kind Hovering of on a bit less board. than that today yeah it's a bit less than that today but it's it sort of warms up it so it's but i can't quite work out when's the time to rush out and try and do some um matte varnishing outside because i'm still kind of very very fearful of um fogging although tamsin i do still remember your tip of, of making sure that the varnish tin is actually warm the, the spray tin is warm um being kind of the magic ingredient there so I'm, I'm I'm probably more confident on that. And then um, I've done up a couple of units of javelin men with some lovely peri figures from the Arabs as well, all still very colourful. And then as I was doing that, I've I've gradually been ordering odds and sods from different places in ten mil in this kind of ongoing change my pre airbrush purchase. Um, 10 mil world war ii stuff and i kind of got sidetracked into doing a rebasing exercise and and i've rebased um what must be what's that 15 times five um i've rebased and some other about 80 or 90 10 mil americans into a new basing scheme that um, i've done because i was making some um um bases for the tanks that i will use once the tanks are sprayed and finished and assembled and and i just kind of was on a bit of a roll with basing technique maybe i was actually maybe i was actually listening last week or when we were talking and got kind of a bit inspired on it so so i've been making doing more basing than painting probably this week but it's one of those things that that you achieve something with i think it's one of the things we said last week you you feel like ta-da suddenly i've got a whole new little army um which then did prompt another order of of bases from war bases which i did manage to get in um before before their sale i think there's another couple of different bits of sales i think one i missed but there's another one i might have snuck in on as well and then um pendragon have come out with a 10 mil siege tower that it turns out is about 35 mil wide so and it's an mdf and it's only about fiver so I bought two of those to try and turn them into Cyrus's mobile towers for the um, the early Achaemenid Persians, because that's always a bit of a hoot as well. That's, that's uh, worth knowing, especially if I yeah go they with... yeah I, well I should hopefully they should come quite soon and I can I can see if I've wasted my money if there's actually room at the top to fit fit two or three fifteen mil archers, but but looking at those things they were just archery platforms um, above the battlefield. So even fitting in, you know, you can fit in two or three people in the top of an elephant howder in 15 mil so on the top of a siege tower that's that's like 35 40 mil square at the base 
there's surely got to be room for two or three archers or three or four archers in at the top of it. So um, that will be interesting to see when that comes in um, in a week's time. Maybe I'll paint it up in a kind of rusty way, copy the um, copy the skip um, option for it. But but yeah, that that's really been my week of painting. Nothing nothing too dramatic. Just a few bits of upgrading and actually probably more basing than painting. Question for you, Tim. You've been talking yeah. about upgrading your 10 mil. Got an email from Victrix saying, hooray, our half German half-tracks have now been released. I saw that. Would yeah. you be tempted? No, because I've got the half-tracks from um, Red 3, which are metal ones, which are still only £3 something each anyway, and are really nice. And they're, you know, that thing you banged on about last week about overcomplicated versus simple... There's are really, really simple, really clean, solid castings with sides that I think I can put stickers on and will paint up quite neatly. And the crew are so, kind of neat. So so actually, I'm like, no, these are, for me, these are better for what I want to achieve after you persuaded me of that last week. Mm-hmm. They're the ones you've got the little guy sitting in the back. Yeah, the guy sitting in the back and, and then yeah. the drop-in, um, you know, yeah. kind of unit for uh, or whatever, the yeah. sort of support options or something like that. Yeah, so, no, I'd be tempted to get some. I'd be tempted about to get about three of them with a with guy sitting in the back because that would be a complete Italian in um, yeah. Rommel rules. Yeah, well, I, I well, Red Three just released their engineer vehicle as well, um, which they hadn't done when I put in the last order. So, so maybe that's something we need to take offline and look if there's a kind of combined order so that I can pick up because you've got to have two of the engineer ones as well. Certainly in yeah. Blitzkrieg Commander, whenever you always need the bloody engineers to to go and knock holes in other people's wire and, um, over, yeah. Yeah. And bunkers and all that kind of stuff. So you need the um, the 2517s to carry your engineers around. So, yeah, so maybe that's maybe that's another thing for next week's order before all these places shut down for Christmas. Yeah. Oh, um, did anybody do any gaming this month? Well, we talked a bit about one game. Did anybody yeah. else do any? Um, yeah, we yeah, did I, some I, BE. I, I, yeah. we, did, we did BE last night. Okay. Um, three of us. We, well, we tried let's talk not... about that then. Let's talk about that then. I'll, I'll wind us into that then. I'm, um, yeah, this is the the team. So look, that was what we painted. Um, I think this week we've already mentioned a, a game which took place between Simon and Andy, um, in which Simon took a second place victory by the sounds of it. Um, but I think Peter, Dave, and, and Andy, you had another run through of Battle Empire this week as well, or earlier this week with your play it slowly, learn the rules and see if Dave can um, not get beaten yeah. by trying to advance in column against mass guns across a road and a bridge. Well, I, oh, I did much better against... this week. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, we had a game at the start of the week, didn't we, Dave? Before I got totally whacked out. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. The Austrians kind of went straight through the uh, French. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Which right. I mean, I, I mean, we've, there's some interesting things in there. I thought um, it was supposed to be historical. This, these rules. Yeah, well, there's a lot more. There's a lot more Austrians than there are French because the uh, Austrians. It boils down to the generalship. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there was the, the skill factor was definitely there, and I would say there was a bit of dicing. But I think what the one thing we discovered in that game, Pete, I think you'd agree, is that Jaegers with rifles are really, really good. Oh God, yeah. So they it, shoot we, further, they shoot better, they shoot everything, you know. Yeah, it was basically working out about um, the rules and how effective some of the shooting can be. 
and uh, what the impact is because the Austrians rock up with large units. So it all starts yeah. adding into the factor that it's the, the old adage of, you know, if you can concentrate firepower, it starts being pretty lethal, mm. um, especially with uh, opening it up a bit with some softening up and then going in. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, that, that is the key, I think, in Napoleonic is to, you know, a lot of, a lot of hap charges happened and things where the enemy wasn't softened up and they tended to go wonky. And the difficulty <coughs> was trying to coordinate the softening up with the charges, um, which a lot of the time didn't work properly. And that led to a number of defeats. But I mean, like our game last night, for example, just shows what happens when, when, when you're charging without softening up. Yeah. Can I just throw this in on BE? Because the first game I had, I thought, right, I'm going to try a grind battery, which was only two batteries together because it's that scale of game. It's not an army level game. And kind of realised that I put the two guns together and kind of realised quite quickly that the extra bonus you get for shooting both batteries at the same unit is nowhere near as good as shooting each, sort of having two batteries each shooting at different units, which made me think, well, everything I've taught about sort of being taught about concentration of fire, that seems a little bit, or was I just doing it wrong? I, I, I don't know, that struck me as a bit... Mm. But the batteries themselves are a concentration <laughs> of fire, so you're basically doubling down on something that's already concentrated. So okay. um, the, when we say concentration of fire, it's more the support factors. So if you're going in and you've got one unit, um, you know, I, I was basically having um, three units facing up against one of Dave's. So I had a, a particularly good shooting unit, then uh, having some other stuff around it. So uh, with those factors, you, you're actually causing a fair bit of damage if you do a half-decent dice roll. With the cannons and everything else, they're really effective when you're actually either doing to canister or someone's turning up with several waves because it's the ricochet effect, which we also saw on uh, one of Dave's games, um, where, you know, the... Yeah, Tim, you were watching that one with yeah. the uh, ricochet going across and uh, uh, almost taking out his general, which was most amusing. Mm -hmm. So learning about the ricochet rules, it's, it's just very, very different from ADLG. Um, I'm enjoying it. The more we're playing, the more we're playing, the more questions crop up about um, supports, hard flanks, things like that. I think there's an awful lot of subtleties there, which I think it's, it's, it's quite a project to learn these rules inside out. But is that, you know, though you're saying those things about um, subtleties, they do sound like they are you guys learning Napoleonic tactics and the rules force yeah. you to do that. Yeah. Is that, is that the sensation you get? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I've had to go, I'm, I'm sitting here reading uh, <coughs> this, this book of uh, Napoleon on the Danube, uh, Thunder on the Danube, because... To be honest, I'm realising I know nothing about Napoleonics, really. So I'm I'm, so, I'm reading some sort of hardcore history books. What, what is that? The one about it. them advancing in cannons over bridges and getting absolutely slaughtered, Dave? Yeah, there's a bit of that going on. In fact, I'm at the siege of uh, something, Ragnarburg or something like that, where Ragnarburg, he's had a grand yeah. battery and he's demolished the walls and demolished a tower. In order it's where the French Frenchman held out for about three days and screwed up an entire Austrian corps. Yeah, no, this is after that. They, they've, they've been found in the rubble of the town and rescued by Napoleon, who says, <laughs> why the fuck are you here? Prisoners, where's the rest of your regiment? You've all been marched off across the Danube. And the officer... Is that marched, Napoleon played by Vin Diesel, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Napoleon's been hit by a spent musket ball and got a bruised foot. So he's had to ride out in front of his whole army to prove he's not dead. 
<laughs> and got cheered like in the film of Waterloo. No, no, but anyway, so he's got into the town. He's rescued these officers from this regiment who were left all on their tods to hold this city. Mm. Yeah, 65th, I think, for memory. Yeah, they've, been, they've all been captured by the, by the Austrians. The soldiers have been marched off his POWs. The officers have been left in the town and given their uh, word of honour not to fight yeah, parole, the yeah. war again. They've got parole. So the officer in charge has been scolded by Napoleon and he's rushed off and come back with this eagle, which is wrapped inside two Austrian battle flags and hidden. And Napoleon's gone, oh, well, you're, you're really cool after all. So it's fun. It's, it's a good laugh. OK, so you're, you're learning the, the tactics bit by bit and, um, and learning that yeah. it's just not yeah. an ancient scale. I, I think if we were back at the club and around the table and had four or five of us playing around, moving stuff around, it, we would be picking it up a, a lot faster, a lot more easily. It's hard on tabletop sometimes, just getting the concept across. You know, it's you know hard, having that chat over the phone as opposed to just around a table makes it a little bit harder. But you know, at the moment we've got the time, so we're using it wisely. Um, I think it's one of those as soon as we start playing it in anger um, and getting the initial setup and everything else, we're going to go a lot faster. Then uh, the depth will be coming in even more with the um, when you have units retire back and get them back in, rallying up different units and such like. Yeah, it sounds but, like, well, you know, it sounds and it looks, the bits I've, I've done, I do need to sit in and more of these games. It just obviously is, it's a very different pacing. It's not yeah. anything but, like... You've got to have a different mindset to playing AGLG yeah. to playing Napoleon. Totally different mindset, yeah. 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 And you learnt how much joyful cavalry are going up against uh, infantry. Yeah. Without uh, supported. Yeah, that's right. Throw, throwing, throwing cavalry into supported infantry is not a clever thing to do. Yeah, no, even that's, if they're that's, not in that's within my skill set to know that already, I think. Yeah. Even, even but I, 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 I had an amusing like. incident in a game I played on Wednesday against Dave Ray. Um, he was, um, we were doing Romans against Macedonians, and his Roman elite legion decided to turn around and move backward to try and drag, drag you know, lure me forward. Um, unfortunately for him, he moved some skirmishers forward to cover the um legions i mm. then charged the skirmishers who evaded but i rolled yeah. long and that whacked me back my pikes into the back of the uh, legion which wasn't too nice for them it was quite entertaining oh, cool. schoolboy yeah. error sounds grim sounds tricky okay. <laughs> well you know on on that note then i think um that probably wraps up our um review of games played this week this means war Well, look, this is um, this is us about to attempt having a proper discussion about something almost serious. I think it's something that we all talk about in passing and, and with various um, elements of knowing winks and, and all the rest of it throughout when we're doing this. Um, and we are sat here as people who've just done the best part of 30 weeks of shopping and painting and online ordering for figures which it may still well be another six months before we're even able to get on the table against anyone else and we're all sat here with with probably quite significant collections of stuff um that um that are sat in cupboards and, and all around us some of which i would guess actually probably a, a decent proportion of it may never have made it onto the tabletop and, and some of it may well not do um and i think the, the topic really of the day is I'm just trying to think even the best way to articulate it really it's that 
particularly historical wargamers thing, and, and I say that specifically about historical wargamers, um, a kind of slightly more than feels sensible or right obsession with pricing um, and value and cost and and how much individual figures cost and and with that kind of a massive excitement about any sort of discount you know it, it's why the black friday sale of 10 percent off something can suddenly make everybody desperately excited um and i think there's you know to to kind of give it a bit of context there's a few different bits about this and i think to start with we're not talking about um you know can you afford this i think there is an implicit assumption here that um this is if we're actually really honest um if you are buying what you're playing with this isn't a massively expensive hobby um you know you've compared to i don't know you know i'm not sure any of us have golf, made golf. Any, but go, golf, golf. You know, mountain golf you know, is the best thing buying a bike or you know any of these other things that people do or going away following football teams watching rugby all these other things it's not a massively um, expensive hobby to to buy a decent amount of stuff probably more than you can paint um, in any normal year you get enormous amounts of time um, spent painting it which is is part of the hobby it's it's actually a good cost effective hobby to do that if you can can buy the stuff that you actually want but but within that you know within that context given that this is is affordable you know you you buy a hundred figures and you could spend two three weeks painting them up um as we've all done over the last 20 um 30 weeks or 40 weeks or however long 17 years of lockdown um that's going on yet there's still that thing of oh you know are these a few pence more than the other ones or is this a bargain or are these good value and and there seems to be quite often a um, a question about value versus quality, um, and given sub quality subjective mm -hmm. as well that that we all seem to get very very tied up in knots on, um, and uh, and then there's a question about the cost of an individual figure being more or less expensive, when certainly for the games that we play and and even the more contemporary games, you know we've we've had a discussion about small size army games the sagas the things that are 50 60 figures or, or whatever or infamy or, or a bit more and even adlg as a 15 mil game is is 100 120 figures um something like that um which isn't you know isn't enormous amounts you're picking up an army for 50 or 60 quid so the kind of question is why do we all get so so obsessed with with pricing um and i think there's a there's a flip side about it is why is um why is pricing of some of these things so weirdly weirdly inconsistent is it is it the manufacturers missing a trick leading us down it is it something in the psychology of being a war gamer um but i don't know does it who wants to um who wants to to kick us off with some thoughts on this one um andy do you want to yeah do you I've start? Thoughts. yeah i think i think first of all it's um your your willingness to pay a price for something depends on is it something you in better commas needs in the sense of it's a project you definitely want to get into or is it something you come across um casually like at a show or browsing the internet and think oh they look nice shall i bother if it's if it's a project you want to do for example you you're you've got a definite project of redoing your 10 mil world war ii germans right so mm. because that's something you definitely want to do 
you're more, more likely to say, well, I see these guys, they're a bit more than I'd necessarily want to pay, but it's a project I definitely want to do, so I'm more prepared to pay it, rather than if you weren't redoing your 10 mil Germans and you saw those things on an, a website, you saw, you know, I'm just saying is your degree of purpose makes a difference to what you're prepared to pay. Now, I, I, I wonder, and I don't know what anybody else thinks, I'd almost, you know, that, that sounds like it should make sense, but, but if I try and think of my own behaviour... I actually wonder if it's almost closer to being the opposite because the fact that I've decided to to replace or redo some of um, this 10 mil stuff um, has drawn me into a you know a, almost a parallel hobby of trying to look at all the different manufacturers and deciding what I'm prepared to pay and you know what is good value whereas if I turn around um, here, you know, I'm not, not, not looking at the Zoom background that I've got here, but actually my actual real room, um, there's still a copy of Black Seas sat there on the shelf, completely unstarted, that I'm trying to think, I think maybe it was in, was it 50, 60 quid? Um, I've yeah. got no, because there's no context, but that wasn't something I particularly was planning to do. It's like, that looks fun. Bugger it! I'll I'll chuck fifty quid at that. Cause but it is there a sweet spot in that sort of? Yeah. Uh, it's like what came a lot through a lot of the kickstarters. The, a lot of the kickstarters were based around that sort of like fifty under a hundred pound sweet spot. Warlord Games done a lot of it, where yeah. it's like it, it's almost like well, it's less than you know a couple of prices of you know going to the movies now and everything else. Yeah. Um, it's you know equivalent of a couple of bottles of wine sort of thing and it's like I'm, i can afford to throw that away whereas when you start looking at an army you start looking at it as dave was saying early and looking about all the different connotations of it and everything else and that makes it a bigger project in itself even though as you say the cold start reality of it you're only talking like 120 odd figures if you looked it away from that it's not actually as big an investment as you think it is it's just it feels a lot larger because of the time, effort, and mental ability that you put into it compared to getting a box game, which is almost like a compulsion buy. Um, so it's it's different ways you're actually looking at it, and different ways the psyche actually looks at it. Why why would you know I spend loads of time and effort to make a workout engineer a saving on an army that you know in inverted commas I want um that the best that saving could ever be you know if i just went and picked any old figures and picked the most expensive it still would be less than 50 quid difference um in, but, in anything but you don't do. actually look at that at the time you start looking at the individual figures and then yeah. you look at the um you go on the website you see yeah. oh well that's really expensive you look at it from that cold light of day but you don't actually often um, sit at it and actually do the totting up and saying, well, is there really that big expenses? And like you say, I think this is the key point. If you were to do that, you'd go, well, what's the stress? I'll just buy the ones that I actually like because I'm going to be looking at them all the time. Um, oh, am I willing to actually look at that difference? And but, I ended up doing that because I, I looked at some of the new Donington ones, the Le uh, uh, Leisure Heroica, and I did that with uh, Damien. I got an yeah. army for one of my sons. And mm. it's just they look nice. Okay, yeah. they were a bit more a bit more than a couple of other manufacturers. I could have gone yeah. cheap and just done it because, you know. And yeah. I was like, no, nah. you know, Damon was great. It was at Reading. 
He ran through everything, you know, in his usual inevitable style. He's fantastic with it, explaining it to my son and everything else. And just brought an army. It's like, why not? They look good. They look damn good. They help that, me but that's with you, my painting. But is that you turning that purchase into a purchase that you choose to feel good about? Whereas, you know, Andy, the thing that you said about planning an army that you need... <coughs> in inverted commas, this ridiculous mm. word you need. Um, if it becomes something you need, does it then become something that you feel obliged to work to get it at the cheapest thing? Whereas, Peter, no, the way, I you, think, describe, I think, I think the works, way so you describe that... If, it's something, yeah. if there's something you need, um, as opposed to you don't mind whether you have or not, you're more inclined to say, well, if it costs a bit more, because it's something I definitely want, I'm more prepared to pay it. Now, to give an example, I wanted a few units of Viking infantry, um, I was buying some paints from Ian Marsh and he had some packs of Camelot Vikings. So I thought, okay, I'll buy them. Now they've arrived. I've got the Thracians I'm painting on Camelot. They're quite reasonable figures. These Vikings look like they'd be Irish Vikings breeded with, with leprechauns. They're a bit small. And um, whereas sculpturally, they're not bad. Size-wise, they're a bit small. And instinctively, I think, I don't think they'd go well with my other <laughs> the rest of my Viking army, and I'm not sure I'd even ever use them. But so I, I don't class any of the more wargaming stuff as need, just want, and you know, uh, as it's all discretionary spend at the end of the day. You know, uh, is but, it? No, 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 uh, sorry. I've got a no, question no, on that. No, no, no. Damien, I remember Damien because we're quite a few of us hit on this podcast of competition wargamers. And I remember Damien from Donington saying to me, I went over to see him after, a, you know, so we're at a competition weekend. And after the first game on Saturday morning, Damien says there's always a rush of people who come over to him and they've obviously been beaten in their first game and they come up and they go, I need, I need, bags <laughs> of javelin. I yeah. need, because obviously they've just been thrashed by somebody who's got a troop side that they know nothing about. So there is a need thing in that game, I think. Oh, that's a good one. That's a very good one, yeah. Is that is that people convincing themselves that it's a need because they're they're embarrassed with the fact it is discretionary spend? You know, because it's not a real As Dave said, it's just people have worked out that you know somebody else has worked out different troop types better, and they they think I I need that in my army to be able to win. Yeah, <laughs> but it, I mean, I, yeah, there's there's a thing of what I tend to do. Also, is throw like, in another reason why it's a need. Playing and painting to soldiers is what I do to relax. It's what I do to escape from the stresses of the world and my life. Because once I've got a paintbrush in my hand and I'm looking at the tip of the paintbrush, the rest of the world disappears. Mm. So there, I think there is a need there. You know, for a lot of people, I would put that down as a need. It's, it's part of my life. Um, yeah. That It's not Definitely. an important part of my life. I don't rate it anywhere near as important as my children, for instance. But for like, for seeing me through the year... yeah. It's actually quite important. Mm. But that, that's point. about saying you always need well need a, um, <laughs> a conveyor belt of stuff to do. But um, but if you're saying I need a conveyor belt of stuff to do to to keep myself busy, to distract me from the real world, the rest of it. The, the question then is, why do we all or, or so often get drawn into, you know, Dave, you, you've just spent um a few days looking at different pricing i've been doing this with with this 10 mil stuff getting hooked up on the price difference of 
I'm buying something. I want to enjoy painting it. I'm going to, I'm going to own it after it's done, but how do I make that decision between the 20, 30, 50 different manufacturers in some of these um, periods that I could choose me, from? How do I me, make that decision? And, and where does price come into it? Where I'm concerned, I mean, I, I'm a purely historical wargaming, competition wargamer. So my concept of, and I, and I kind of started 10 years ago, so my concept of need has always been, you know, I've got to get a collection of medieval figures which are all completely interchangeable. Um, I studied ancient history university, so I have a, a, a different need possibly to others. I, I, I really like to research it. And I think I get my kicks and I, and I go with Adam on that one. I think sitting here painting is a, it's like being a carpenter. You sit there and you do it and it distracts your mind because it's an action thing. You're not sitting there consciously going, oh, bloody hell, I don't know if I've painted that right. You just get on and do it. Um, for me, it's the historic, you know, if I've got an army, I mean, so Napoleonics, I, a long time ago, I sat down with everybody and said, who makes the best Napoleonics? And I went for AB miniatures yeah. because, and they are a damn sight more expensive than other people's figures. But they are the beautiful. best. They're beautiful and they're great to paint and you get a lot more satisfaction out of them. And, you know, that leads on. I mean, at the end of the actually, day. Actually, actually, can I can I just stop you? You say yeah. you say you chose AB and you get a lot more satisfaction out of them because they're such good figures. Do you own any other figures from any no. other manufacturers? No. So so yeah, what what you're saying there is that and uh, it's very good. You know, AB is a great example. They're, they're pricey, yeah. but they are pretty universally recognized as the best 15 slash 18 mil Napoleonics. And I, you don't get much, um, you don't get much pushback from that. You, you put any group of war gamers in a, um, in a, you know, in a sweaty pub, um, give them a load of Scotch eggs. And they're going to tell you that they're going to come to the conclusion of AB, whereas other things. So, but you've internalized that, or you've made that decision um, that they are worth paying for. And but anybody you ask, all the all the other six of us would say, yeah, they're worth paying for. We'd all nod, and you'd feel good about it. But but if you move into <laughs> yeah. into other things, you know, they're um, it getting that where does value come because you get into a much more subjective thing you know we, we've talked a lot about forged in battle um because they've had the kickstarter and a lot of people have bought it and and i've got some very nice forged in battle figures and i've got some persian cavalry that are just meh and yeah and i, I sit them next to um i sit them next to zeiston cavalry yeah. which are uh, more expensive and i go this there's no comparison here you know, this is this is clearly value. Um, but the, but where the value it, where in the Forged in, in Battle for me was doing the, because I, I'd never done Ancients before, I was yeah. a, a newbie in it. It was perfect for me to actually build up some armies and build up some different types of armies. So I got the value from that, but it was just, it was a very, very easy way in to actually, it came on just the right time, just started playing ADLG. I'd got one yeah. army, at that point, I'd got Romans that uh, were the old uh, Corvus Bell, and mm. it, it was just perfect. So I could just get several armies. Um, they looked more animated than anything else. Yep. Uh, I know you're saying there's Eistons and everything else, but it was just 
an easy way in for me. Yeah. And a lot of people were just getting into ADLG. So and other um, systems. So it just seems to come along yeah. at the right time. So the value from that was more being able to get lead on the table. And um, as I think Dave and Simon just quoted a few times, you know, war game ready. You know that three yeah. foot rule, um, which you know there's several people around this uh, who are a hell of a lot better painters than me. So for me, if a if a figure's good enough that I can actually put the paint on it and do it justice, I mean, a be a fantastic. Uh, they even make my painting look good um, but you know I don't want to go to the other extreme on some other manufacturers where I'd have to be Townsend level of painting to actually make them look good you know I'm not you know it's basically a sales ear out to you know what you're what you're talking about there is is almost kind of the sort of attitude to to price and figure price that that you would apply to other things in the real world <laughs> as well again right this is simple it's straightforward they made it very easy for me to buy it's all consistent bosh i can do it and then i don't have to think about it anymore yet there are you know certainly if we think down the club or you look online you know there's war, war gamers who are very 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 focused on on price of individual figures and i think you know if you think of when um about wh which is good which is is bad what's what's good value and you know we've all talked about piling in on kickstarters or black friday sales or all oh, you know this is cheap and uh, trying to to be clever with the victrix discount to try and test some stuff out and things like that it's that what's the difference i think between you going with a kind of almost a mature attitude of i need to get started on this this is all off the shelf i'm almost don't need the pro i'm i happy because i don't have to deal with the complexity of looking at loads of different manufacturers for the best stuff yeah i think simon you know you you and me have been having a, a sidebar conversation about um ottoman turks and just looking at different manufacturers forget some ottoman turkish um sipahis and, and cavalry i think dave we've had a long conversation before about um who does the best um well who does the best um ottoman um Janissaries and things like that, yeah. but, um, but you get once you start going. Actually, I only need a certain amount of them, and I'm trying to um, pick from twenty different manufacturers. Price suddenly becomes into it, and you go, "Oh, you know, is that is that better than this one? How do you actually make a diff How do you make a judgment between two different manufacturers? When how much of that judgment is about price?" So, yeah, looking at, so I've, I've just bought a Ottoman Turk army for Renaissance. Didn't, didn't need it, but wanted it. Mm. Yep. And being a good, diligent war gamer, I looked at all the vendors on the market. Of course. Comparison with a spreadsheet on price per figure, quality, shipping, um, time for delivery, and all of that. Yeah. Because um, you, you have to do this very scientifically. Yeah. Did you do a spreadsheet for all this? Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus. So I the, mean, the, cool. spread, the spreadsheet with the uh, filters and, you know, and um, worked out <laughs> how many figures per battle group I'd need, how many bases I need, how many extras I'd have. Could I make them? Uh, uh, things you do when you've got, um, you're stuck at home for 24 hours a day. Um, but it, it's funny how you do tear yourself apart from, you know, you at discounts or whatever, or just mm. different price points. And as you said, sometimes you're talking really just the difference of 10 pounds. Yeah. 
So I was comparing, so we always use Essex miniatures as the baseline. Benchmark, they're, yeah. They're like, you know, the basic, you know, base price. Can you get better or lower quality and better price or lower price than them or high price? So I looked at like yeah, Heroica, some of the, some of the models really, really nice. Pricing is a bit expensive. Some of the models were a bit meh. And then looking at other brands as well, or models like uh, Lancashire Miniatures, who've now uh, who've got the Venexia. Venexia, yeah. Who look really, really nice. Some of their models. They are good. And they're cheap. Sorry? And they're very cheap at the moment. There you well, go, Dave. You're chipping in with the cheap thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Exactly. I, I looked at yeah. them on the Venexia website and went, oh, yeah. well. You know, yeah. they're £2.50 instead of £4.50. And I was like, oh, I could do it if you want bases yeah, yeah, yeah. of my horse. Yeah. Yeah. 20% off is always good. Um, but it was so funny. Exciting. He wants his camera over. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So excited, yeah. Whoosh. Yep. But, it, but it is funny how you do tear yourself apart when you're doing an army of you know, an ADLG. So we, we normally think of an army is about 130 quid, give or take, because you always buy a few extras. Hmm. Other than wow, that's a big that's a big cost, yeah. Yeah, because I would think of I like to do a three hundred point everything, arm. right? Everything, I have all the extra okay. baggage and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and other than the big discounts once a year, mm. you can normally get five or ten percent off. So you, yeah. you might be talking five or ten quid, so a few pints. So, so, so when you when you did that, you know, you thought oh, it might be ten pounds. If when you did that big spreadsheet with um you know essex sit in the middle for they've got a price they've got the quality the the quality question is are they better or worse than essex you, you've got hmm. some sort of weird mathematical formula you've spent um longer working out what to buy than you will ever do playing them all that kind of thing um how much did price pay, play into whoever you ended up actually choosing in the end did you buy a less good set of figures than you might have wanted because they were better value? I think so. So in the end, I went for a combination of QRF miniatures and Lancashire because they were 20% yeah. off. I could have gone for the Curasan ones or whoever because they were slightly nicer. But yeah. I think they would take a lot longer to get out here from delivering all that price and all the other stuff. But a lot of times it comes down to is the, for me, is the army going to be a feature piece army right? or is it going to be a playable army? Okay. So are, the they gaming, like, are they gaming pieces or are they yeah. things you're proud of? Yeah. So the idea is like, say, uh, Dave was saying about his uh, Napoleonics. So he's bought AV miniatures because mm. you know, they are the you know, top tier miniature. For my Napoleonics, I went for Lancashire. Cheap. The gaming pieces. They're gaming pieces. And so for me, it's all about, can I paint the army at the three-foot rule, get the toys on the table reasonably quickly, and push toys around? If I can do that cost-effectively, that wins it for me. And I'd rather spend the money on one or two nicer figures like we often do for ADLG. So I do your general as yeah. the big general. And then... Yeah. I think you've hit so, the nail so Peter, on the head Peter, about being yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come to Tamsin because she must have a different view on individual figures. But Peter, yeah, talk, so add, chip in about the um, army piece and Tamsin. Will they come to you? Yeah, yeah. sorry to yeah, just to jump in. It's, it's it. 
I know what you mean. It's like I've done the thing to get the armies on the table because I'm being particularly vested on certain ones. But it's when you are vested in that one army, like I, I did with the, I made the mistake of um, for my anniversary, we went and traveled around Europe, uh, you know, my wife and I, and uh, looked at a couple of things in Austria, Hungary, et cetera, et cetera. And there, then we start looking at Napoleonics and I've seen all these actual Napoleonic paintings and beautiful halls and everything else. So therefore I felt I had to do it justice. It's the same with certain other armies. Sorry, Pete, can I just in. check that? For your anniversary, you took your wife on a romantic tour of Napoleonic battlefields. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 not Napoleonic battlefields. It just happened to be in Vienna. You know, you go wandering around Vienna, you can't not see some of the history and everything else if you've ever been. Um, same with Hungary. It's just, it's there in front of you with a castle and everything else. Um, even I'm not that disastrous. Uh, but basically, you start being a bit more vested and you, you want to put those ideas and you've done that little bit of research. Like Dave was saying earlier, he's already reading about the Spanish Knights because he loves doing the medieval Spanish army. So he'll end up buying a few extra figures or classical figures. Whereas when I wanted to do a Chinese army, I went with Essex and I got a couple of guys who were on the call to advise me. And I just got all the standard figures because I, I just fancied trying it out. And just in a bog standard Chinese army for ADLG. Okay, so there's a difference there between something you where you want gaming pieces, where price is an issue, but then there's a different class of figure where you go, I want to, I want to invest time and make the painting and making of this a thing. So then the price doesn't doesn't really matter quite as much, um, even though you still do the same research. So, so Tamsin, kind of coming to you because you you know you paint on different scale, a different number of figures sometimes to you know, us banging out the older 15 mil ADLG army for you know 60 70 quid or, or whatever yeah I still do bang out uh, an ADLG yeah. army yeah there's I think there's you say is it all historical gamers that, uh, that, ha, that have it, I think it's a thing that's I don't think it's I don't think it is I think you're you might see it more among competition gamers because you want an army that can cover this theme, this theme, this theme, this theme, this theme. So you knit, so you, they'll have multiple armies, whereas non-competition non gamers might have one or two armies. So they might be, so they're possibly less likely, like less less likely to look for the cheap mm. options. So if you're a competition gamer, yeah, you might want some nice looking figures. I, if it's an army you're interested in, if it's an army that it's just so you can play in that in that that theme in a competition, then you probably will just look for the the cheap cheaper gaming piece figures and save money. But, e but even if you're doing that though, going back to you know Simon's point, the difference for a for an army between the best figures you can choose and these are gaming pieces might be twenty quid tops. And I think when I do my picture, I think you might be looking more more than that. I think the cheapest cheapest figures, so I uh, sort, of, uh, sort of Lancashire Games, Peter Pig, thirty yeah. p a figure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of the other, I just think I done into New Era. You're talking sixty p a foot figure. Well, look, let's let's pop um my my spreadsheet um, of doom on. But, um, yeah, I what, on when, I, when yeah. I'm buying an army, one of the things that I look at price. I have a variety of figures, which mm. can be important. 
I, if you want a variety of poses available, but also the pack sizes. Yeah. I, yeah. Pack, well, pack content. So one reason I, I went Donington for my 30 years war era armies was, well, it was individual figures, so I could get what I wanted and I could get a variety of poses within within units. Yeah, I probably cost me more than going sort of old glory 15s. Mm. But the pack sizes there would have been a nightmare to get yeah. the figure. I'd have had loads of X spare yeah. figures. This means war. This means war. If we look here, I've got got this spreadsheet on screen um, here that we'll, we'll link to or something. Um, now this is just doing a quick scan through of of some of the different mainstream 15 mil manufacturers and how much a figure costs. Um, I've doing the textbook counting mounted as two and infantry as one to break down some of the pack sizes. So it's cost of a pack, number of figures and unit price. So if you look um, about unit price per figure for 15 mil, you've got stuff in the middle is about 50p. Um, yeah, Donington, New Era, Magister Militum's 50p. I think um, Essex is 48p um, in there. You get a few which kind of creep into the, the slightly more than that. Um, and then you're starting to go down to 40p for, for museum. Um, some of them 38p for some of their ones. So sort of a cheapish figure. The really cheap ones are coming in at at 30p 35p a pop which outposts surprisingly cheap um alternative armies um, 15mil.co.uk 35p qrf about 34p um the the corvus belli um new plastic ones in their their unit pouches are 31p as well um lancashire can be 39 um what else is that um around about that sort of mark um, Museum Originals 38. So between discounting a couple, which are into 60p, you're really talking the difference between the cheapest figures, 30, 30p, 31p each, and the most expensive is kind of 50, just to one. So you're talking whatever that is. I suppose that's 30p base, so it's it's 40% cheaper, um, 50p or 30p from the top to the the bottom almost of so of that, so that basically what you're saying is the average agld army you're varying price between 10 and 20 quid so if, if you say an army is you know i think of an army is about 60 quid so the difference between buying it in the cheapest figures you might be able to get it for for 40 45 and the expensive one you might be paying 65 70 so for what we're doing that's like 20 25 quid tops so i i look at it from the perspective of the amount of time I put in painting that because I'm not exactly yeah. the fastest person. Hmm. Um, you know, if you look value for amount of time, um, even if I get the most expensive one, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. get a lot more value out of it. Yeah. You know, you, you play with it a couple of times in a couple of battles. Um, for me, from when you equate value, it's more than paid for itself. As Adam mentioned earlier from the, you know, the mental aspect of relaxing painting uh, and then playing with the damn thing. Um, it's it's a no-brainer on the cost difference for me on that. Yeah, yeah. I guess the question is, what you know, why why would you not pay another 
tops 30 quid to have the best possible figures versus paying you know saving that 30 quid to to have the cheapest possible figures you're assuming you're assuming the most expensive are the best that's not exactly that's a good point yeah very good point yeah one of the things Tamsin said which is what made me think for my Ottoman Turks was the different hoses so um, Ledger Heroica and Essex, as an example, have two poses of the foot. Yeah. Guy with gun pointing and guy with pointing uh, up next to his shoulder. So they're particularly uninspiring poses when you're going to do quite a few battle groups. Mm. I know that works very nicely for Napoleonics or Seven Years War type of armies where it's more regimental. One of the things I'd like to do uh, over the last few years He's trying to make some of the units a bit more um, non-dynamic. Yeah, dynamic. Yeah. Good word. yeah. And so when I was looking at, like, your know, museum miniatures, who, who people know, they're one of my favourite brands. I normally would just mm. buy money, buy stuff off them at uh, the, the January sales. They have one pose, which is quite boring. And then so looking around the different um, brands, and the thing that made me go through it, and I bought all my genissaries from um, QRF, because they had three or four poses in each of the packets. Yeah. Model looks nice enough that I know the quality is not as good as um, museum, but I had a few different um, poses. You then add in the genissary, so I've gone with musket. I've also added a few guys with um, the saw one. So, you know, give you that, ability, you know, that visual of has a gun but also will charge you. It then makes a far more interesting unit rather than 24 guys all uh, all holding a bow going pull, which is yeah. the, the museum thing. But would you would you have paid a premium for that? You know, if because here you know you've got this thing that QRF are. 34p each and a museum at 38p each or you know which is well literally pennies um yeah. it's almost no different would you have paid a premium for that or does the fact it's 4p cheaper make you feel better in some you know do you kind of go yes and it's cheaper is that is there a sense of finding the cheapest price and thinking that you've you know thought through and done a spreadsheet and done a deal is is that actually now part of the hobby um, and getting a buzz off of thinking I've I've beaten the pricing algorithm. No, no, so I think for me, getting value for money and what would be an enjoyable army that doesn't cost me an inordinate amount of money what, for something that could be a one-off army, that was a more important part. So, uh, Is it, isn't that just saying exactly the same thing though? You know, getting because that phrase value for money. Because the cheapest isn't always the value for money. Because yeah. I could have bought, there were some armies that were far cheaper, but the models looked horrible. So I looked at a few of them where um, if you look at the bow, half the bow was falling off or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I could have saved a few P off QRF or whoever it was. Yeah. So, your, so your project then was, was working out value for money. And yeah. and the fact that you 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 think you made a value for money purchase, is is part of the satisfaction. Um, yeah. Whereas whereas Peter, you know, was saying, I want to make a a straightforward purchase, 
um, and then just get the damn stuff on the table. But that whole process that you you spent time on, built a spreadsheet on, you you must have got something out of that. And you know, talking about value for money is is actually going. Is there something in war gamers? Because we're all you know we all kind of like spreadsheets and and play stats and things like that. And that that whole process of working out what value for money is in in these little toys, which actually have no almost no intrinsic value other than in our own little world you know this isn't i don't know a car or a um you know a pint of beer or a television or something like that that's got a wider context do we is it we want to feel we're getting value for money because perhaps um everybody else looks at us thinks that we're just wasting money on this stuff (laughs) so that persuading ourselves we've got value for money might actually be part of justifying the fact that we're we're playing with toy soldiers I think there's a particular weird thing with the psychology of historical toy soldier players, historical war gamers that goes on. Because when you look at the concept of what, what's a fair price, you don't want to feel you're being ripped off. You don't mind yeah, paying a fair absolutely. price. Yeah. I think psychologically, and I think it's to do with the history of the hobby, most historical war gamers think a fair price is far lower than where it should be. Mm. I think, because, not, I think some some historical war gamers think that I think I think there's a culture there. Famous, they were paying in 1980. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think absolutely. I think there's yeah. a I think there's a culture there that comes from the history of war game because it started off with buying just airfix and then people literally making their own. Yeah, and then they made their own, which is sort of like the cheapest you can get, and then they made their own and sold them to their friends. So In fact, there's, there's a great um, there's a great podcast called The Joy of Six that has a, an interview with the guy from Irregular Miniatures. Mm-hmm. Who, who yeah, did I exactly listened to that. that. It's really good. It's really interesting. Yeah, really nice bloke. So no, I, I like think you're that. absolutely right. People started making their own. And once you get to selling to your friends, then until the 90s, from the 60s, 60s, 70s, 80s, until the 90s, selling toy soldier figures wasn't a way to make money. It's something you Mm. did as a hobby. You ran a company as a hobby and you had another job as well. So for decades, toy soldier players got used to the idea that they shouldn't pay very much more than the cost for war games figures. And that was right up into the 90s. And there's at least three of us here that were buying figures then. And everybody else and everyone that's even come into the hobby since then has come into that culture of... I, I actually think war game figures are too cheap. If I pity the people that are trying to make a living selling 15 mil yeah, war I, game I, figures. I, I, yeah. I come over from, you know, my first, as a kid, war game stuff was uh, doing games workshop, you know, some of the first games workshop stuff. Oh, so all yeah. the historical stuff is cheap for me. So I'm like... Yeah. And know. weirdly enough, it was in the 90s with Games Workshop that tried to run it as a company to make money. And their customers weren't historical war gamers. They built a new customer base that mm-hmm. got yep. used to their that was used to their pricing. Whereas any historical war gamer or, or anyone coming in walking into historical war games club has got a different view of what a fair price is. And I think historical war gamers set the fair price part too low, which is why they're all always scrabbling for this is cheaper. Oh, there's a discount on this because they think they should be paying less. And I actually think when you look at what they're getting, they should be willing to pay a bit more, actually, because it's kind of cheap. It's it's not an expensive hobby. It's And I'm doing 25 mil and I'm doing plastics because it is cheaper because mm. where I am, I'm not sure I could always pay £3 for a figure. 
or or however much but it's it's not a cheap hobby and people the people that think it's cheaper it's because they're used to not paying a fair price and they think fair price is lower than it actually one is so i think that's always where that pressure of make it cheaper comes from so it almost gets it's a self-fulfilling prophecy from from some of the manufacturers still being hobby businesses and not not yeah. having the cojones to make proper money because you know yeah because if you look at this um you know well museums z range to me i think is just a fascinating thing because that gets raved about and they are lovely little figures um the new ones that they do um those digital prints and they they you know they bring them out quite a, and they are um 41p a figure and in the new year when they do their regular sale they'll be 33p a figure which is some of the lowest unit cost for some of the best quality figures out there actually in some of the best material as well they're in a kind of pewterish metal that that is really solid and good and, and, and nicely cast and you're kind of like why aren't you just charging 10p more why didn't you come out and and make them all 10p and you know you you see people like forged in battle coming out with um with a couple of years ago with their nicely presented packs and a huge great range and just going bang this is 50p but you're buying them in kind of big big packets of 24 that's it and and that seems to be going well and then you've got you know plastic soldier doing the the new plastic stuff that that they they seem to be kind of a lot of it seems to be marketed on price whereas particularly with the corvus belli those are really well beloved and really rated models um and you kind of wonder whether you know I don't know, maybe that's a specific thing because that's some of the first plastics to come out in or plastic equivalent to come out in 15s, whether people would still pay more for those um, because they're coming in at 30p, roughly 30p a figure or, or a bit less if you buy in an army box. But for those figures, do they need to be priced more cheaply to to actually sell? You know, are we actually looking here and saying manufacturers are just shooting themselves in the foot with with random pricing that that almost in some ways looks almost independent of quality? This means war. This means war. I think new, newer figures are better sculpted, take yeah. paint and take particularly, because I think nowadays everybody uses a lot more inks and things like that. Yeah. So I think you've got a, you've got a perception of older manufacturers mm -hmm. and True. older casts and older, um, yeah. you know, mo models and things like that. And I think that comes into it, but I mean, with where I'm concerned, you know, I, I will, you know, I will make a choice about the best figures historically cast um, and things like that. So, you know, where all my Macedonian Greek classical figures are Zeiston. Yeah. Um, all my Chinese are Essex because the Chinese Essex figures are really good. And they're mm. the most, the, the nicest to paint and historically pose. Um, me medieval is a massive area because you need a lot of different types and things like that. So I went with da Damien's Donington figures there mm. because he's got a large range and he's got the various different troop types and that. Um, 
Yeah, I will. I will look at a certain man. Manif- I mean, I've been looking at doing an, uh, an African army and wondering about what figures to go. And to be honest, I've gone looked at, been looking at irregular figures there, and uh, I found that you know because they do some weird Benin figures. I think they yeah. look fantastic for what they are. I, I will go specifically to a manufacturer based on their what they've got. Yeah, so it's it's not. I think you know, completeness, the completeness of the range. Yes, is important. I it's forged in battle. Can I get everything in one place. Forged in battle bought out figures for Blemmy and things like that, and they've got some really nice sculpts in there, but they don't have an impetuous infantryman. So I would. Kind of, I mean, I, you know, if I'm going to do a specific army for a specific range, I will keep to one range for that army. I don't mix and match ranges very occasionally, but not really. Yeah. I don't have, you know, some knights from Essex with pikemen from some other manufacturer and things like that. Yeah, I don't, I, t- I tend to do so. I generally st- stick with one manufacturer for an army. Yes. Hmm. But that again, those are sort of other I factors. Get, I might, well, I might do bulk for troops. I might do all one manufacturer, but then get specific character figure figures for generals' bases and. Does it? Is it very different when you go to twenty-five mil though, Tamsin? Huh? So I'm interested to understand from your perspective because uh, we've talked a lot about fifteen mil. Is it very different when you go to twenty-five, twenty-eight mil? Well, what I've got in 25, 28 mil, uh, you've got my World War II armies, forces, and sci-fi, essentially. And there it's a case, well, sci-fi, yeah, uh, well, Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd, Strontium Dog. Yep, that's just Warlord Games. Yeah, there's a limited number of manufacturers, yeah. Yeah. World War II, I'm... My Australians were a mix of manufacturers. I think I think it was about six different manufacturers in my World War II Australians. But did but did young... price? But did price come into that at all for you, or with, you know, were you doing no. a very small collection? So, all right, maybe the other question: yeah, I, why, well, did, uh, why didn't price come into it? It's a small collection, it? but just yeah. a small collection. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably it's about the size of an ADLG army. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because in the ADLG army, but. Because in 25, 28 mil ancients, there's a massive, you know, variation. You've got the plastic figures, which I think the the best price Victrix one comes in at 48p a figure for plastic um, for, for some of their big sets. And then you're looking at, you know, foundry mounted troops. Um, you're getting three cavalry for 14 quid, which, you know, count cavalry as two is £2.33 for um, a, a thing versus the 50p for the, the plastic. So you've got an enormous disparity between plastic and, um, and metal. You know, in fact, maybe looking at this, maybe maybe PSC are, are making it like bandits with, with their pricing. But um, but a lot of a lot of the um, 25mm, 28mm metals are sort of coming in around the 130, 140, 150. 160 mark um but there's quite a few that are still coming in around one pound 10 one pound 20 and then some are getting up to to two pounds so you know that 30 40 percent difference from 15 mils can in 25 mils 
very easily be in some cases be a hundred percent difference between you know not niche stuff new line is is absolutely solid um a and a has got some very nice stuff at 116 where, but you know foundry 175 230 and i think in, you see a bigger difference in in um 28 mil because mounted are worth generally worth more than two infantry because i guess horses is just a lot of metal to put into it and you're starting to get the cost of metal um is is starting to be a bit more of an issue but there's a you know there's a vast disparity here for for different types of different types of quality and for, for people ostensibly offering very very similar things the, the pricing seems to be all over the shop mm. which is i with metal with metals i for horses yeah there's actually an additional cost which a lot of people don't realize about for some manufacturers and that's sort of the licensing fee. Right, some people own horses. A lot of them use the basic horse 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 sculpts under license from I think it's eBob miniatures. Yeah, eBob's horses. Yeah. No, I've seen that. So there's an extra cost in there as well. But but it just seems But they bit... all use the same sculpt for horses. Some a lot of them, manufacturers some. use the same basic sculpts, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. I not I Sculpting, a lot of pe- a lot of people don't like sculpting horses. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's sounds... or, or fine because getting horses to look right. Yeah, I yeah, gripping beast with the uh, elongated necks, <coughs> elongated skinny necks. Yeah, yeah. There's some quite slightly odd ones, isn't there? But it's just yeah. so all over the shop in in this one. But you know that because mm. you're starting from a bigger there's a bigger range in 25 mils and you're starting from a bigger number, that difference of 20, 30 quid on an army could, could suddenly become on this one could become a hundred quid. Mm. And, that's, and that's completely that's, confused me with 28 millimeter figures Yeah, because it's a yeah. whole market I've never, ever looked at since I was yeah. a te- you know, since I was a 40, you know, near enough 50 years ago when I was a yeah. kid, I bought mini figs and they were just one manufacturer and you went to them. Yeah, and, no, there's there's absolutely you know, all sorts these days yeah. for sure. Yeah, so it's just all over the shop. But again, it just seems to be you know maybe some of it is VAT registration. I guess that would make a twenty percent difference for some people, but but they seem to which which is quite a lot. But it it just seems an odd mix between quality and um, quality and cost. But I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure we even come to any form of conclusion there. Um, I think we've got some of us who are buying stuff for all sorts of different reasons. Um, but some of us are still, even if we don't like to admit it, probably spending time looking at pricing than than is possibly sensible. Um, and and you know, but but possibly that issue about the exercise of looking at pricing as a way of of justifying the purchase to yourself you know if, if you didn't do the exercise of looking at pricing the pricing is so all over the shop that maybe you just worry about being ripped off or ripping yourself off or being a mug there's an issue with pricing in that um ian marsh once told me he works does fighting 15s and the cost of producing a figure depends a lot on copyright issues cost of the metal marketing holding stock and the actual margin for the uh seller is quite small 
So yeah. a figure that sells for 60p might make him 6p, for example. Mm. Uh, therefore, what looks expensive to your individual wargamer is actually not a huge margin. And bearing in mind that if you're not casting yourself yourself, uh, you've got to keep this stuff in stock yeah. and your money's tied up in that until yeah. someone decides to buy it. No, but I, I'm not sure any of us think that people are making fortunes selling wargaming um, figures, possibly just the opposite. Maybe it, it's almost the opposite. It's maybe the opposite of saying if people are making low margins by casting wargaming figures um, and quite a lot of the time we don't think that we're actually price sensitive, we might go through quite a long-winded exercise of looking at pricing but at the end of that exercise more often than not we end up going i'm just going to buy the ones i like yeah, um i'll go with that yeah Ooh, shiny so i want that one yeah so maybe maybe the just the exercise of looking at pricing is is part of the psychology of buying something that that hasn't really got any proper value um, in, in well, a way, when I did my like last 28 mil army, I, I was just looking more about weight. I was going to get oh. certain yes. key yeah. miniatures were going to be yeah. mili- um, metal, but the, yeah. the large units are all going to be plastic because it's just yeah. too much hassle to carry yeah. around. Maybe we could all save ourselves a lot of um, time and effort and spreadsheet bashing and angst if we just bit the bullet and said, let's just buy what we want um, and we like and let's ignore this kind of pricing nonsense you know it because it doesn't actually no it, it's almost become a game in itself it's become part of the process but i think that's absolutely one. true tim but on that note can you send hmm. us a copy of that spreadsheet please oh god absolutely <laughs> yeah that's all going around yeah absolutely well th- you know this might save everybody a huge amount of time yeah in, in an entirely pointless that, part of the process yeah i was thinking about you know uh as, as historical war gamers we could just go Ooh, shiny, I'll buy those ones. But you think of how much effort we all love to go to in choosing an army list, choosing which different troop types and all that, when often it comes down to, like, Tim, as you, you and I have discussed when we've gone to some competitions, it says, why did you bring that army? Well, I just painted it so it looked shiny. Or other times we'd spend hours and hours working out, okay, if I've got this light foot that saves me four points, I could put three points over mm. here, I could carry this one versus that's pretty <laughs> yeah no, I, I think actually that's that's a really good parallel actually because you know the amount of times you can spend tweaking and refining a list but you're still only going to play four or five opponents and that list may or may not you know work out or, or whatever and it's real marginal marginal gains for a lot of effort whereas sometimes you do turn up with as long as it's half decent and you use it properly you're going to do okay and have some decent games with it and and maybe it's just actually part of the psychology of, you know, what attracts us all into historical wargaming and, and list building and, and all these other things means that we've almost got a psychological need to go through the pricing exercise, even if by the end of it, we don't actually take any of that information into account. We, we kind of pretend to ourselves that we have, but but quite often we don't. Um it could be the theory and i think as you say adam you know the the issue with um with some of the um some of these manufacturers just underpricing their stuff or having historically low pricing because their hobby businesses and and not being bold enough to put it put the pricing up um you know it, it's become 
maybe maybe it's the hobby businesses who still got that war gamers mentality and it's the more professional ones who are, are bringing stuff out with whizzy packaging and 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 slick marketing and, so and proper graphics. How do you think it's going to change with the much better 3D printers then? Because you've already seen it with the museum stuff. Um, we've I've seen it when I went along to Salute. Um, was it two two years ago now? There was some amazing sculpts going along with some of the 3D printing stuff, some of the professional stuff, and the stuff that's been developed in the last two years for 3D printing is absolutely amazing. If you look in other industries and everything else. As soon as that comes across here, it will totally change the dynamic. You won't be having to do the same sculpts. Um, you could do a lot more dynamic looks because it's a um, computer file and you can print it. You know, uh, Some of our wargaming colleagues already do it as a part-time business, um, don't they? And they sell it online yeah. and such like. So I think that's going to be the massive change, the big dynamic change in this because you're not having that same um stock held on and um, if you can then print up some more as opposed to having to do a, a uh, spin run of x number of figures and everything else i think it with 3d printing are you be talking for resin printers for well you can do the powdered metal ones now um there's some yeah. amazing stuff coming through when you start looking at it um, honestly i, I think i actually think powder, I, uh, for most war gamers most war gamers are not going to be able to afford powdered metal. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the war gamers. Oh, the companies. I'm talking yeah. about a manufacturer. So yeah. instead of actually going and doing the molds, um, some of the new stuff coming through. So instead of mm. actually building out the molds and everything else, you'll have your um, 3D printer and you'll be able to do a run of figures that you'll then, you know, turn will order um, some new uh, camels or whatever. Um, but they'll be just run off on demand. Like, so I, th I think 3D, you know, 3D printing is a whole other, it's a whole other kettle of fish, and um, I suspect it's a whole other podcast as well as we <laughs> as we creep towards the, the two-hour mark. So, but no, I think that will will make you know this already incoherent and messy and and potentially actually pointless unless we regard it as part of our own hobby. The the act of looking at pricing, this this messy pricing matrix 3d printing's got the opportunity just to to hurl all that up in the air and you know it depends whether it you know i'm sure you can make an argument that it will be good or bad for the hobby um, manufacturers who are just doing this for fun or it could be good or bad for the more commercial ones who are trying to make a living out of it with with proper margins and stuff but but i think again that's that's probably another subject for another time and um we can draw a line under our somewhat um rambling as usual and vaguely incoherent but possibly somewhat enlightening um discussion on pricing where's the spreadsheets amazing you've got to love a spreadsheet haven't you really and um especially one with different colors on it but um there's only really um no, I was going to go into the Napoleonic thing there with a red, white, and blue link. No, oh, it's all gone horribly wrong. But possibly, I know what we can do. Yes, there's only three colours that count when it comes to music, and that is the red, white, and blue of the Tricolore. And it is time for Andy's quiz music. Question. Question. La troupe est sans fond. Question. La légende le dit. Question. 
aussi. Question. C'est une maladie. Question. So Andy hits us with a bit of the quiz-tastic stuff, and then we'll decide whether we um, they think they're good value questions or whether we prefer to pay possibly 10 to 12% less if they were made in a slightly softer, bendier way. I reckon 10 to 12% less would be a result, to be perfectly honest. That would probably um, be a good result, yep. Right, here we are. So last week, it was all about museum pieces, and the questions were, number one, which foreign dictator's wooden leg is one of the exhibits in the Illinois State Military Museum having been captured by an Illinois regiment during wartime. We're, but not, it's, we're not legger. It's Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who's the dictator of Mexico. <laughs> ah, okay. But Illinois the war with, um, which lost him Texas. A man who banned slavery, which caused a war, which lost him Texas. Something like that. I'm not quite sure of the details, but yes, he was he was having a siesta when 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 there was a battle in Texas and he lost it. And okay. It all went a bit embarrassing, right? Um, number two, which Napoleonic marshal, related to the heroine of a historic event commemorated in the famous folk song, has his baton as an exhibit in a museum in Armadale on the Isle of Skye? Got to be Macdonald, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I've actually seen it. Really nice You've seen McDonald's baton? Yeah. Okay. That's, um... So what, the folk songs that Old McDonald had a farm? The old McDonald had a core. No, it, it was um, uh, the, the Sky Boat song. He was related to Flora McDonald of, you know... The, the, the margarine someone... fame, right? No, she smuggled Bonnie Prince Charlie that across was... when he was oh. being uh, running away from the, the British. Okay, all right. Right, question three. Which Union general who was acquitted of killing his lover's wife by pleading temporary insanity, commanded a corps at Gettysburg and lost his leg, which is now an exhibit in the Smithsonian Museum. There was loads of them lost legs in the... There was Sykes, wasn't there? No, it was Sickles. Sickles, that's this one. Yeah, Sickles, that's right. Sickles, sick leg. Okay, fantastic. Right then, well, hit us this week with um, next week's questions then, Andy. Or right, this, so this week's this question, question, next week's questions? I've, yes, possible, one of the two, your choice. Yeah, well, I, I, you. I know what you mean, right. So this week's theme is martial law. Right. Which French marshal in the Napoleonic Wars was shot by Napoleon at a hunting party for which Berthier got the blame? Was that when they were shooting the rabbits? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> right, so you know <laughs> okay. the answer then. Number two... Which Marshall's opinion of the strategic significance of the watershed of France was, quote, if I stand here and take a piss, half of it will go into the Atlantic and half of it will go into the Mediterranean, right? And number three, which Marshall once sent a message stating, my centre is giving way, my right is retreating, situation excellent, I'm attacking. I've heard that one before. I think I may have heard that one. I'm not sure I know the answer, but but I think it's fantastic, Andy, and, and good to sneak in a question about taking the piss as well, which is all good. Right, well, with, with time cracking on then, just a very, very quick round robin to see um, what's what's coming this week. Peter, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're, you're planning more sleep, more rest, and, um, and hopefully a full recovery. Yeah. Done. 
Very right. simple. I might do some cavalry horses because I can spray them black. Spray them black. Not gold? Right. Yeah, not gold. Not gold this time. Mr. Saunders, are you um, are you going to press the button on an order this week? Um, once I've got an email back from North Star and or Crusader Miniatures, whoever they are, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely end up putting some in, I think. And are you going to worry less? Change my mind. <laughs> you're going to worry less about the pricing now. Now that you just realised well, that it's actually a exercise. There's so many th things to worry about. Weight. Will I ever use them? You know, yeah. this is you know. Pricing's you, way down the list. Also, congratulations on not electrocuting yourself with the um, clock. It never device. showed up. I've just had to send an email to e through eBay saying, "Where's my flocker?" <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, I think I've. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen that BBC Two play. Um, I want Adam, my what, money back. Yes, yeah, so I, 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 I was. I back. almost pressed the refund button. You know. Right. Yeah. Is that on the flocker? No. Um, Adam, what what are you doing this week? Is it you've glued the Dacians? Are you going to bold out the undercoating? Well, I've got one. The first batch of thirty already undercoated, and I'm okay. concentrating on getting next batch of thirty undercoated before we first start painting the first batch. So I've got some in reserve in case the weather okay. goes wrong. So what, yeah, what just grinding on with the Dacians. What colour did you do the undercoat? Black, white, uh, white. brown? White. Uh, white, because, okay. yeah. Get some pingy colours on them. Get them, otherwise they get toned down a bit. All right. Mm -hmm. so, Simon, what about you? What's in on the shopping list this week? So I've ordered all the um, Ottoman Turks, so hopefully they'll arrive in the next couple of weeks, um, which will be good. Give me something to work through on Christmas, or Christmas. So my focus for the next couple of weeks is more rats for Dragon Rampant. Okay. Um, Tamsin, are there rats in the world of... Well, it's still 2000 AD in your backdrop, although we've been talking Romans for a while. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm finally, finally, the cobblestone figures have hit the paint table. Oh, great. I haven't seen paint yet, but they will tomorrow. Right. Okay. So there's going to be some top quality Judge Dread action in the next few yeah. weeks then. Great. Um, and Andy, um, what about you? Uh, finishing off the Thracians and the Voynuchs and then probably making a start in those Italian ships with the barber poles. Uh, barber pole frontage. Fine. And I think for me, again, much the same. It will be, can I finish the damn Arabs? I think I'm down to four bases now um, that, that really need some swordsmen and some medium spearmen that just need to be done. And there's a bit of stuff about painting belts, which is really awkward on the 28 mil plastic figures because they're not particularly well defined. Um, and you end up having to go over the cloth bits either side again, which is a bit of a but but I will bite the bullet and um and get those done. And maybe if with a bit of good weather, a bit of outside matte varnishing, there will be some some Arabs done and dusted, as long as I don't get distracted by any more rebasing projects or anything like that. So is that so when I'm, you realize that you then want some Naffertons and a couple of else to sort of like round it I've, all out? I've actually got the Nafferton already. I have them for Saga and I've um, got some special bases that I can drop the Saga things into to turn them into um, ADLG size bases that I had ages and ages ago. But um, so, so I've avoided that. I've managed to save some money. How about that? Um, it, it's oh. probably cost me, probably cost me more to do than, um, than it would do to buy the figures twice, but it's, um, it's all done and dusted. So, so that's the plan. And um, that's this week. Thank you again, everybody. And um Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Adam, you've got a theory. Um, I think last time we did this, you came out with a theory quite early and it was a really good one. Um, and it kind of was like, right, you might have answered this, which was kind of a bit tricky. We're about to start. Can you hear me? Oh, we can. Yeah, indeed. Can you right, that's going. Yeah, we can hear. Oh, we hear you. I updated my Mac software to Big Sur, so I think that may have something to do with it. 